all and welcome to episode 186 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, I need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Raymond Wheeler, Carolyn Blake, Mela Chapman, Meredith Deckert, Megan Crosswell, Or O'Shea, Hannah Louise, Morgie's Mom of Three, Rocio Alon, Helen White, Leda Juarez, Talia Kemp, Jason Saliba, Luscious Miss Lulu, Tatiana Flesas, Lindsay Colbeck, Brian Junin, Dragon Slader, Sophie Trick, and Show McDonald. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week, our film review is Knock at the Cabin. Knock at the Cabin was released in 2023. It has 4.8 out of 10 on IMDb and 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Four armed strangers force a family to make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. And just to make a point that that IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes rating is likely to change wildly over the next couple of weeks because this film literally came out this week. So it's very, very new. I went to see it in the cinema and I was really excited about seeing it. So just to kind of give a little bit more backstory to this uh, to this film, it is based on a novel which I haven't read, which is supposed to be very good, which is called Knock at the Cabin. And the premise is, is that these four strangers rock up to a cabin where a family are on holidays. The family are completely unsuspecting. The four strangers rock up with these big weapons and they say, look, one of you has to kill the other. Because otherwise the world is going to end. And that's the premise of the story. That's not giving anything away. You find out that at the like literally the very beginning of the story. So that is not any sort of a spoiler. So I'm going to go straight into the likes for this movie. And my big like... My big giant like for this movie is obviously Batista. I love him so much. I have such a soft spot for him. I think he is a lovely actor. And I saw a comment on the trailer clip on YouTube that the top comment was like something like when Batista puts on his glasses, you know that he's going to do some serious acting. I loved him in this movie. I loved him. He plays this big school teacher who has to be the bad guy. And he doesn't want to be the bad guy. And honestly, I just want him to come and sweep me off my feet. You know, Batista, if you're listening, I am here. All right, I am here. That's probably a very weird thing to say. And I really shouldn't say things like that. But um, yeah, I just loved a minute. Rupert Grint is also in this film, which was nice to see. I was like, oh, hi, Rupert. Because he doesn't do that much acting. You know, I know obviously he is enormous and so well known because of Harry Potter, but I haven't really seen him in very much since that. So it was nice to see him in this and he was okay. I mean, his accent was a bit all over the place, but he was quite good. His character was really believable. And uh, yeah, I was I was like, it's nice to see it. Nice to see you here. You know, I think the cast in this movie is was pretty strong. I was impressed with the cast. And I think one of the strong points of this film is that all of the cast all of the characters are very believably normal. So they all have these really normal lives. The people who are in the cabin, who have rented the cabin for their holidays, have relatively normal lives. The four people who arrive at the cabin, they're normal average people who have all just been thrust together in this crazy situation. And you do believe, like I believed that they didn't want to be there. I believed they didn't want to be in this situation. I believed the turmoil that was happening in the story. 
I also absolutely loved the premise of this story. This idea that you're a normal everyday person who's just on a little bit of an Airbnb getaway with your family and then suddenly these four strangers rock up and tell you that you have to make a decision about who in your family is going to die to save the world. And it's a great premise for a story because what you do inevitably end up doing as an audience member is you go, what would I do? Would I be able to do it? Could I really do this? Would I believe them when they came to the cabin with this story or would I not believe them? Would I let seven billion people die because I didn't want to be separated from my family? Like there's so, it's a great moral and ethical dilemma. And it is a great conversation, I think, about utilitarianism, you know. It's that it's that thing of, I have to do this awful thing, but loads of people will benefit from it. And am I able to do it? And I and I thought, you know what, I, I have to read this book. I um I think I actually have the book somewhere, but I really want to read it because I was so taken by the story. I thought it was I thought it was really clever and I loved how normal the people were and I loved the the moral quandary that it threw up. But here's here's the thing about this movie and we're we're on to the dislikes. It was weirdly boring. Like it I wasn't that interested, you know? The premise is so good and I'm not sure how M. Night Shyamalan managed to make it so boring. And then I was thinking to myself while I was watching it, like, is he a good director? And I actually, I genuinely came home and I looked up a list of his films because I was thinking, oh, he he directed Signs, obviously a banger. He directed Sixth Sense, great movie. Split, I personally really liked. The Village is very divisive but I liked it too you know and I was thinking to myself is he a good director but actually he has had a lot of misses he has had a lot of not not good films in his repertoire and I honestly think this one was a swing and a miss and I think it seems to be dividing people online too like I just found it really boring I felt like wow this story could be great and I don't want to be I don't want to be horrendous and it probably says more about me as a person but if I'm watching an apocalypse film I want to see I need to see some people being yeeted into oblivion okay I I want to see I want to see the Statue of Liberty half buried under the ocean you know like we see in all apocalypse films I want to see wolves appearing on the streets I want to see I was talking to Dave Keane about this film last night and he was like you cannot watch an apocalypse film without seeing a big like transporter barge being thrown against the White House. You know that's that's what I want to see when I watch an apocalypse film and I understand that like the the you weren't meant to see all of that stuff but to some degree I feel like as an audience you sort of needed to like I understand why it wasn't there but it ultimately made the film boring and I think the dialogue had a lot to do with it there there, can you really watch two hours of somebody trying to convince somebody else that they're telling the truth because that's ultimately what the film is I think that the dialogue was so simple that it became kind of cheesy and I just was rolling my eyes a little bit And I didn't like the ending. I thought it was boring. So I don't know how they managed to make this film so boring, but it was really boring. And just to say as well, from like, I'm not a very technical person when it comes to films. I don't notice very technical things, but there were lots of strange camera angles in this film. If you go and see it, 
Please can you let me know if you were as astounded by the camera angles as I was. Frequently, the shot would be like a, a, a widescreen shot, but the person's face who was talking would just be in like the bottom right hand corner of the screen. I don't really know. It was obviously a choice because it happened the whole way through the film, but I don't really know why, why it happened and it annoyed me, to be honest. That being said, I'm going to read the book because I want to see if the book is different than the film, or obviously it is going to be a bit different, but how it's different from the film. But I wouldn't be rushing out to see this one and I'm going to give it two and a half stars and all of those stars, all two and a half of those stars are for Batista, that big, giant, beautiful man. Which brings us to our stories this week. And our story this week is not about the end of the world, nor is it about big, giant, beautiful men who I want to sweep off my feet. But the story is adapted from a 2017 article called Bizarre Underwater Encounters with Ghosts and Mysterious Monsters by Brent Swanser. And thank you, Brent Swanser, because you've saved my bacon this week. I Last week's episode, so that two-parter in the last couple of weeks, was pretty intense. It was a very intense couple of episodes. And it, yeah, it messed up my head a little bit, I have to say. I found it a very difficult topic to talk about because there was a lot of, like, mental health implications. And, yeah, there was lots of elements of it that I that I found difficult. So I decided that this week I wanted to do um, a compilation because I always love a compilation. But it was really difficult to find a compilation on ghosts, underwater, underwater ghosts, marine ghosts, if you will. And Brent Swanser really saved my bacon on this one. Uh, So let's get into it. Every so often, a little happenstance in my week will inspire the body of the main episode. This week, I interviewed the director of the play When Darkness Falls, and we briefly mentioned the stories of fishermen and people who live their lives at sea. Surely these people must see a multitude of weird and wonderful things in the twilight hours on the open seas. Just about 71% of our entire planet is covered in water, with waves that can move at hundreds of miles an hour and depths that are full of gold. Scientists have more detailed maps of the surface of Mars than they do of the sea. Not only are there around 3 million shipwrecks lost to the depths, but the world's oceans hold about 95% of the world's life. It is, therefore, incredibly likely that there are creatures big and small waiting to be discovered in the murky depths. But as the sea is full of the energy of the wind and the waves, and has the awesome power to take life in an instant and destroy cities in a heartbeat, is it inevitable that the sea would become home to a world of the paranormal? Our first stop on our underwater paranormal adventure is to Micronesia, which is made up of 2,000 islands in the Western Pacific Ocean. And as you can imagine, many of our stories of ghosts roaming their watery graves are linked to shipwrecks. And some of these places are relatively well investigated despite the fact that they are difficult to access. In Micronesia, there is a place that is commonly known as Truk Lagoon, a place of tropical beauty It is a place of blue glittering waters, hot skies and palm trees swaying softly in the breeze. But in its history there lurks darkness and loss and sorrow and in the depths of the lagoon there lie the skeletons of wars past. 
Truck Lagoon is a very famous diving spot, but imagine being in the depths of the lagoon and hearing a noise that is wildly out of place. It's not like you can't hear underwater, but everything sounds flatter and far away, almost hollow. But there are sounds in Truck Lagoon that reverberate through the water. The unmistakable sounds of trucks revving, engines idling deep in the crystal blue waters, the sounds of machinery clanking and grinding interspersed with the idling of engines like a whole industry exists under the waves. But how? There's no underwater industry, no subterranean factories, just a ghost town of lost metal. During World War II, Truck Lagoon was used as a base of naval operations and a crucial stop-off point for supplies for the US Navy. A naval-led air attack was launched from Truck Lagoon in order to try and drive out Japanese forces. Over two bloody and gruesome days, from February 17th to February 18th, merciless attacks would sink around 60 ships in the lagoon. Merchant ships, naval ships, and hundreds of aircraft all sank into the lagoon and as a result, it became one of the largest underwater graveyards in the world. It is believed that approximately 3,000 people lost their lives in the Truck Lagoon and one of the most unusual sights at the sandy bottom is the sunken Japanese ship, the Hokai Maru, which had been sunk with a shipment of trucks and those trucks are now littering the ocean floor. And due to the amount of people who report hearing the sounds of engines revving and idling deep underwater, it is perhaps not beyond the realms of possibility to think that the energy these vessels exuded in life are echoing throughout eternity in death. When the lagoon was investigated by the television programme Destination Truth, They recorded the sounds of engines idling under the water and allegedly the sound of a human voice under the water. They also claimed to have captured the heat signature of a human being in and among the wreckages when no other human being was down there. And while we know that TV shows are designed to entertain by any means possible, the sounds of human voices crying or calling out deep below the waves is common in these parts, as well as people seeing shadowy humanoid figures darting in and out of the wreckages, keeping just out of sight. Being underwater is like being in an alien environment, a world where we just don't belong, so maybe it's natural that in the graveyards of shipwrecks we might see something flit and wonder if it was in the shape of a human, or we hear a noise and wonder if it was someone calling out for help. There must be an inherent sense of loss when faced with a majestic ship that is reduced to a skeleton. All over the oceans, these shipwrecks seem to be home to these spectral shadows. In 1942, the tanker SS Gulf America was sunk by a German torpedo near Jacksonville Beach, Florida. Many people have claimed to have seen shadowy shapes moving through the wreckage and voices have been heard calling out for salvation and crying out their last cries. In 1956, the Italian ship 
SS Andrea Doria was accidentally hit by the warship the MS Stockholm and divers to the wreckages have reported being pulled and poked by unseen hands that feel unmistakably human. Divers would feel a hand wrap around their ankles and turn expecting to see a colleague and be met instead with the shadowy glimpse of an arm retreating back into the wreckage. This particular site also has an inordinately high rate of divers dying and no definitive reason as to why has been established. In October 1867, the RMS Rhone was sunk in a hurricane near Salt Island in the British Virgin Islands. To this day, divers claim to see the sight of men frantically trying to swim away from the wreck towards the surface, but they vanish before they get there. And it's not just the ghosts of unfortunate sailors who have met an untimely death that are seen at these wreckages. In 1942, the USAT Liberty was sunk by a Japanese torpedo and to this day, divers have reported seeing a torpedo rocketing towards them under the water before disappearing in an instant. When we think of paranormal investigators and paranormal investigations, we think of teams of people in greeny night vision cameras running and shouting around a castle. What we don't think of is people in scuba gear diving deep into the depths to search for the spirits lost at sea. But paranormal divers do exist and paranormal investigators do explore these wreckages. And while I was initially bemused by the idea, it actually makes perfect sense. The Paranormal Divers, a Florida-based team of underwater paranormal investigators, dove into a supposedly haunted underwater cavern and came back with quite the story to tell. They were deep underwater in the murky depths of a flooded cavern, estimated to be about 130 feet deep. It was believed that this abyss was the haunt of a spirit of a diver who had drowned. As the crew floated through the cavern, searching for any signs of the missing diver, one of the team began to hear frightened screams. Thinking it was one of his crew, he wheeled around as quickly as he could to see if everyone was accounted for. But they were all accounted for and all signaled that they were fine. But the screaming continued. The sound of someone screaming in absolute terror and the diver did the only thing that he could think to do and he started taking pictures. And according to their website, this is what happened. This is an image of a diver's face mask frame. Taken at 130 feet in a flooded underground cavern shaft, there was no diver present in the deep portion of the cavern during the time of this shot. Our photographer took the frame in sequence after the team heard screaming coming from below. We panned deeply and shot the black water and the source of the screaming voice, which was the exact site of a diver death. This is the real thing. To our knowledge, the first underwater ghost photo ever taken in history. As always, the picture that was taken under the water will be on Instagram and Facebook. And if you follow the links in the description of this episode, particularly the article by Christy Gordon, you will find this picture. You can extrapolate what you want when you see the picture, but for the paranormal divers, it was conclusive proof 
that the spirit of a diver was residing in the black depths of the cavern. And of course, while I was hunting for stories for this episode, I came across all sorts of stories of divers and fishermen and sailors who have come across weird and wonderful things in their time at sea, from brushes with giant unknown creatures under the water, and even one story of a fisherman who reeled in his catch to see it was a fish wearing a pair of human glasses. But stories of actual paranormal experiences under the water are relatively tricky to find. I did, however, come across this Reddit gem from a now-deleted user. Two buddies of mine and I were on a night dive in the Puget Sound hunting prawns. It was around 1am and we were at a good 100 feet deep, the pitchest black you could imagine. We used to do this thing on night dives where we'd get into a circle, turn off our lights, then stir up the water and watch the bioluminescence float around us like floating stars in a black watery space. Beautiful. Only this one time we turn off our lights, stir up the water and the water glows just enough to reveal a fourth person sitting in our circle. We were at a dive resort so it wasn't so odd to see another diver, only it was 1am and we had seen no one else prepping a dive at the dock. He was also alone, which was odd considering the dangerous conditions of a night dive in those waters and he had no fins or gloves. I don't know how he swam so well without fins or didn't get hypothermia without boots or gloves. We wore dry suits because it was so cold, but this dude was in a wetsuit with exposed skin and we thought we saw a giant gash in one of the legs. So the three of us all notice him and we're too fucking scared to move. I can hear my buddies panting in their regs and the guy just smiles and waves and then swims away. Whenever you think you're alone and someone just shows up like in an alleyway at night time, it's weird as fuck. 100 feet under the water at night is terrifying. And in a similar tale in 2011, the Santa Rosa communicator published a story in which two scuba diving instructors came face to face with something terrifying in a blue hole, an underwater sinkhole. In the blue hole, there was a grate deep, deep down that was designed to keep divers from going any further. As they looked, they noticed something moving beyond the grate. It was a diver with a pink tank who was beneath the grate wandering calmly. They obviously swam towards the diver, but the diver disappeared right before their eyes. When they surfaced, there was no sign of this person and they went straight to the local police to report the incident and they were told by a local police officer that the police had had the same report of a diver beneath the grate with a pink tank at least five times. The divers were the only two divers who had dove into the blue hole that day. And you might have heard all these stories before because they do the rounds on the internet every so often. And the lack of ghost stories from the deep is probably just a testament to the fact that so few of us actually get the chance to explore the depths of the ocean. And it is unusual, of course, to associate the sea with ghosts. We more so associate the sea with sharks ghost ships, monsters, and, of course, mermaids. 
And as I said in the beginning of this episode, these stories are adapted from an article by Brent Swanser and of course he included some mermaid stories and it would be remiss of us not to include mermaid stories in any conversation about the sea. It was 1988 and Robert Froster was diving off the coast of Florida. The water was relatively clear and calm as he paddled slowly along, taking in his surroundings when out of his peripheral vision, he saw a disturbance. A cloud of sediment had puffed up into the water where something big and quick had disturbed it. Robert made a split-second decision to follow it and see what had caused the disturbance and as he got closer, he started to make out a shape in the clouds of silt. And as he got closer still, from the cloud emerged an arm. An arm that looked human, but had talons at the end of its fingers. Robert was stunned and floated, suspended in the water, waiting to see what emerged. And what emerged was the torso of a woman with a top half of smooth skin and a head of flowing hair. Her bottom half was covered in scales and as Robert and the creature made eye contact, he was shocked that its eyes were filled with pure evil. He said that he had never seen such hatred in the eyes of another living creature and in a panic, he swam away as quickly as he could. And on the other side of the world, the Black Sea is also a hotspot of mermaid sightings. In 1991, a diver off the coast of the Crimean Peninsula was about 100 metres from the shore when he felt something poke him hard in the shoulder. But because he was swimming with friends, he thought that it was just a friend pushing him to swim quicker or playing a joke on him, so he continued swimming his way towards the shore. But then again, he was hit on the shoulder, but harder this time and with more urgency and he turned and was face to face with a woman. A woman who glowed in the water and her eyes were enormous. The diver did not take the time to find out what was happening and he turned and swam for his life but could hear the splashing of the creature behind him. As he got closer still to the shore he felt again a hard shove on his back and turned again to be face to face with this big eyed glowing creature. When he reached the shore, panicked and panting, he turned to see its silvery body disappear under the water. And as we have covered ghosts and mermaids in this episode, it would also be remiss not to include a UFO story. It's important, and although I hate the idea of aliens, they deserve their fair share of airtime too. And our last story comes from a user on Reddit named Commander Miles. It was the summer of 2012 and I was lucky enough to join a voyage from Bermuda to Haiti on the fastest tall ship, the Spirit of Bermuda. I was on deck watch, which lasted from 8pm to 12am. I usually volunteered for bow watch, where you look out for debris, other ships and whatever the instruments don't catch. The trip was fun, though generally uneventful until this fateful Saturday. It was 11.30pm and there was moonlight, some clouds and some stars. I could see quite clearly, so as per usual, I volunteered for bow watch so I could skip out on any serious responsibility. I was 17. 
I was leaning against the forward mast, gazing at the horizon and humming songs to myself. My eyes shifted from port to starboard and up and down until they locked on a cloud cruising along the sky. Suddenly the cloud parted and a long blue streak descended all the way down into the horizon. Shooting star, right? No. The sky flashed a bright blue as well. Lightning? No. The night was calm as hell and this beam of light was perfectly straight. I was sitting in blank awe for a couple of moments, then I immediately ran for my watch officers at the stern of the ship. Everyone on watch that night was standing up with their mouths wide open. We all then exchanged glances. I broke the silence and asked what it was. My watch officer, let's call him Jake, shook his head and told me that he didn't know, then tapped the other officer, telling him to go and wake the captain. I went down into the cabin to see if I could steal a peek at the sonar. Only officers were allowed to be around the instruments, but nothing was on the scope. The captain ended up telling everyone that it was no big deal and to carry on. And look, I could wax lyrical till the end of time about how how weird it is, you know, under the sea. I was going to have a really poetic ending to this episode, to that story and be like, and of course, you know, we just don't know what's out there because we haven't explored under the water, etc. But we don't, we, we, we all know that. We know, we know. I know, you know, we all know. And I just... I have to say, I absolutely loved this episode. I know it was such a mishmash of stories. I think, like I said in the beginning, I was like, oh, I need I need to do something that's maybe slightly, slightly less uh, demony and maybe more ghosty. And then I ended up down this rabbit hole of mermaids. And there was also sections about like people finding humanoid creatures in weird suits under the sea and finding, you know, finding these big structures under the sea that are guarded by sea people. And I thought, oh, maybe that's that's that might even be going a bit too far for 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 us, you know. So I think I I, I might not delve into that one, but I'm willing to talk about mermaids. You know, I love a mermaid story. So let's start from the beginning of this. Uh, Just to note, I couldn't find that Destination Truth episode to watch anywhere. So it's season four, episode four for anyone who was wondering. But it was available on Amazon in the US and not in the UK. So I couldn't watch it. I know that people are literally going to be screaming at their, their, wherever they're listening to this now, being like, just use a VPN. I know, I know, I know. But I didn't do that, okay? I did not do that. And I would love to have seen the episode, to be honest, because it sounded great. And... The Truck Lagoon, it's T-R-U-K um, Lagoon is, is what it's called. And it is, when I looked it up to see what it looked like, I mean, it's it's beautiful. And then it is wild to think that all of these people lost their lives there, you know? Like, thousands and thousands of people died there. And there are all of these machines under the sea and I would highly recommend that you go and look up these images of Truck Lagoon because it is it's just bizarre you see all of these tanks like big literal tanks that were obviously being transported from one place to another and then whatever vessel they were on was sank and and these tanks are just at the bottom of the ocean just reclaimed by the sea full of you know coral and crabs and urchins that it's honestly just so strange and I did wonder if if because 
you know, when people go diving here, you're first of all under the water and there's weird effects of being underwater. Does that make you more edgy? So does the lack of oxygen make you more edgy or the pressure of being underwater like does that do things to your brain does it make you hallucinate I know that divers get the bends when they come up too quickly but I looked up the um symptoms of that and the symptoms of the bends are more physical but there are people apparently according to the scuba diving forum that I was reading who will get um hallucinations because of the oxygen changes and the pressure so I wonder if some of these things that people are seeing are because of that. And I don't think you can discount that whatsoever. And I wonder if it is about environment when you're in this really creepy, weird environment that is literally full of shipwrecks, airplanes that have gone down, tanks, trucks, jeeps, bodies probably, you know, bones are probably there. Do you then... Does your brain then start associating sounds that are maybe normal for under the water in that place with the sounds of engines revving or the sounds of people crying or screaming? Like that image of seeing a torpedo come in flying towards them. That's crazy. That's wild. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that before. Although we do hear about like warplanes being seen um, that happens all over England when people see old war planes and there's people that believe they're like the spectral images of planes and I know that people within the paranormal community talk about water as a conduit for spiritual energy so is that why people are still seeing this torpedo being this this moment in history this like life-changing moment in history being replayed over and over again is that why people are seeing swimmers men sailors frantically swimming away from wreckages of ships those moments of like high intense energy being replayed over and over again and I always like to try and keep an open-minded respect respectful skeptical view you know I think fundamentally I am quite skeptical um but I you know I try and respect other people's views on these things as much as possible but that being said Like those pictures of those tanks and airplanes and whatever at the bottom of the ocean, they do stir up something like they honestly, they're so strange and so haunting. And I've never personally done any sort of diving or scuba diving. And I can't even imagine what it's like if you are a diver and you suddenly come face to face with a wreckage. And I think as somebody who is an open-minded skeptic I suppose I just I just feel like there's weird things in in the sea I feel like there's probably weird energy surrounding those mass grave sites basically and wreckages I don't know is there a weird energy that captures moments in time I wouldn't I wouldn't be all that shocked if there it was scientifically proven that there was to be honest and as for the stories of the spirits of divers or these these people seeing divers while they're under the water, that line where the Reddit user said, 
it's one thing running into somebody like in an alleyway at night time and it scares you but it's another thing when you're a hundred feet under the water at night time or oh, even that line paranormal or not is terrifying because you're you're running into another human being exactly where you don't expect to see them and there's a part of me that thinks that maybe the story of for example the diver with the pink tank is that a case of mistaken identity where they saw something else and and thought it was a diver in the lighting and the setting and the atmosphere and whatever and then that's why so many other people had seen it too that it was something that was regularly seen but that one where they're down in the darkness trying to stir up the bioluminescence and they realize somebody else is there like that post describes that person that they saw down to they didn't have fins on they weren't wearing boots like how were they not absolutely frozen with the cold how were they able to swim so well that was a person that they saw whether it was paranormal or otherwise and the fact that they all saw it it wasn't one person who was having some sort of psychological effect of the pressure or the oxygen changes they all saw it and it has to be said that mermaids are one of my favorite things to talk about okay I just have to say it do I believe in them? Not necessarily. Do I think it would be evolutionary kind of ridiculous for mermaids to be half human, half fish with really long hair? Yeah, also, I I think that would be quite ridiculous. A, a long time ago, it was maybe a year and a half ago now, I did a story about, I think it was mermaids in Indonesia. And they were described as being like hairless with really kind of sharp rows of teeth nothing really what you would imagine a traditional fairy tale mermaid to look like and that makes way more sense if mermaids looked sort of like the Harry Potter version of mermaids if they were scaly and maybe not with a beautiful head of hair that is flowing suspended in the water I just don't really know what the evolutionary advantage would be to have a flowing head of hair underwater I don't necessarily believe mermaid stories, but I do thoroughly enjoy them and I think they're really fun to talk about. And I think that probably for the most part, it is a very innocent case of mistaken identity or just urban legends that have been, you know, passed around. And I really enjoy talking about them. And the last story that we talked about today really scared me because if you've seen the film Nope, that came out last year the Jordan Peele film you will you will know what I'm talking about when I say that suspicious cloud that hadn't changed here we've got a sailor seeing a cloud shooting across the sky and then this cloud shoots a beam of light what's going on there there's loads of stories on the internet from sailors who see beams of light or lights under the water honestly I think it's pretty I, I think if aliens are knocking around in the sky they're knocking around in the water Okay, maybe that's what people are seeing when they're seeing mermaids is actually aliens. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I know it was not as serious and a bit more tongue in cheek than usual, but sometimes we just need a break from all the demon stuff and all the sadness to talk about some fun stuff. 
If you would like to send in your spooky story, whether it's mermaid based or otherwise, you can send it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. 